This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. See, glad y'all are here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Uh, and I happen to find a passage of scripture that is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not in John. So when Pastor Josh gets to John, there's going to be no conflict there. That's really good. Uh, Mark chapter 10. And uh, here's what I'd ask you. The, the last couple weeks, uh, as Pastor Josh has taught us about hindrances to life, he's talked about worldliness and pride, and he'll talk about a couple more things coming up. Uh, but one of the things that we've done at the end of services is try to take inventory of some of the things he's been speaking to, uh, inventory of worldliness in our life or pride in our hearts, and try and figure out, okay, what areas do I lack humility? And I would just ask you today to kind of do the same thing as the word is preached, is just to try and take inventory of some of the things that we're talking about so that when we pray at the end of the service today, uh, you know immediately what to deal with. Now, before we get into Mark 10, I'm going to tell you about a thing you don't want to know anything about. I'm just warning you right now. So when you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to hear any more about this, I told you that, okay? So you knew this was going to happen. But uh, have you ever met somebody that knows a lot about a thing that you didn't know somebody could know that much about? Like we have a really great friend that knows about every vegetable on earth, I'm pretty sure, uh, where I could literally Google the strangest vegetable ever and she'd be like, oh yeah, that's blah, blah, blah. And you can use it to make blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah. Like it's really impressive, you know? But that's a, use, that's a useful set of knowledge, I think, right? Um, but then you have people that like, I don't know, have the crowd calendar at Disney World memorized. And that seems like not as much of a useful thing. Maybe helpful if you're going on a trip, I guess. Or like I think about my friend's dad in high school that uh, the first time I walked into their living room, he had uh, an entire wall of his living room. It was a shrine uh, to James Bond, okay? And he had every, not just every uh, 007 movie, but every like version, you know, like the Blu-ray and the DVD and the HD, the non-HD, the VHS, like all of it, okay? And he knew all the facts about every actor and all the productions and all the films, like just knew everything, right? That seems not as, you know, useful either. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure there are people in this room that you know weird things about stuff that no one else knows. Uh, and I'm not even sure if you want to tell people that you know those things to be like, why do you even spend your time knowing those things? But I'm going to tell you about a thing I learned about uh, a few weeks ago. And I'm telling you right now, you don't, you're not going to care about this, okay? But does anybody ever, does anybody recognize this right here? Anybody know what this is? Anybody ever play Tetris growing up? Tetris? Yeah. I used to play Tetris a lot on my Game Boy in the 90s, you know what I'm saying? And I'd go to sleep at night because I'd been playing so much, and when I'd close my eyes, I would see the blocks falling, okay? And uh, Tetris, if you're not familiar, you really should be familiar with Tetris. If you're not familiar with Tetris, Tetris is a game, uh, came out on the NES, it was a Nintendo game console, in 1989, and it drops different shape uh, blocks down at varying speeds, so it drop them down, and then you can turn them and twist them, and what you're trying to do is get a complete line of blocks all the way across, and when you do that, it clears that line. If you clear 10 lines, you go to the next level. 1989. Now, the thing about Tetris is Tetris is not like a game that you win. It's not a game you beat, there's, there's no end. Uh, in fact, the, the speed would increase every level. So you, you level one, really slow. You're like, man, I'm professional at this. Level two, still really good. The higher up you get, the faster the blocks drop. And then you go, okay, this is getting stressful. The fastest speed in Tetris, you hit it at level 29. 
This came out, came out in 1989. 1989 on the NES. Level 29, fastest speed. And that's all anyone would ever hit. Because the blocks would drop so fast, boom, 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 boom. They'd stack up, game over, nothing past level 29. Nothing. Too fast. Can't do it. Until, until 2011. That is 22 years later. Why are people still playing Tetris for the NES in 2011? 22 years later, a guy, get this, a guy named Thor. Thor. He developed a technique for playing Tetris on the NES called hypertapping. And I know that sounds really fancy, but you basically just do this. You just tap really fast. And if you tap really fast, you can move faster then the game in level 29 is dropping the blocks. Go left to right. So Thor in 2011, his name is Thor. I'm not going to get past that. 2011 did something no one had done in 22 years since it came out on the NES in 1989. Thor got to level 30. And this changed everything, specifically with Tetris. Changed everything with Tetris. Because no one knew you could do that. So for 2000, 2011, 22 years later, another seven years go by. And everybody's just like, man, Thor, legend. Like, actually, legend. Uh, seven years go by, and then a guy named Joseph Saley shows up. And he does something no one's seen before. You know what he does? He gets to level 31. Now, the funny thing is, when you get to level 29, it's the fastest speed in the game. So you go to level 30, 31, whatever, it's all just that same speed. It doesn't speed up. So if you can figure out how to beat the game at that speed, then we got to figure out what's on the other side of these levels. See, Joseph got to level 31. He was just a little bit better. And the funny thing about Joseph uh, that maybe you didn't know about him is he's a two-time, two, two-time Tetris world champion. I told you you would not care about this. I didn't even know there was a Tetris world championship, but I was learning about these things, and I was enthralled, y'all. World champion in 2018 and 2019, Joseph got to level 35 crazy. In 2020, now this makes more sense to me. We've had Thor and we've had Joseph, but in 2020, there was a guy that went by the username Cheese. That sounds more like somebody playing Tetris to me. Cheese was like, you know, this, this hyper-tapping technique, it's not getting it done. We need more. So he takes the hyper-tapping and then he finds some other techniques other people have used on other controllers and he creates something called rolling. And rolling is where you take your hand and you do the hyper-tapping, but then you also do a hand underneath the controller and you roll your fingers like this. And when you do that, it more than doubles the speed that you're able to achieve with hyper-tapping. I told you, you are not going to care about this. But Cheese does something in 2020. Now, this makes sense. We have a lot of time in 2020. We spend a lot of time at home, and so Cheese makes the most of this with Tetris. And Cheese does something no one else has done before, which is he makes it to level 40. But now with this new technique, like things are taken off. People are like, wow, the sky is the limit with Tetris. And in 2022, thank you, a normal name, Eric. <laughs> Eric get, goes so far with this rolling technique that he makes it to level 95. And now everybody's going, what is this game all about? Like how far can this thing go? Let's push Tetris to the limits. So they keep going. And now the whole competitive Tetris scene, which apparently exists because there's a world championship, everyone's moving forward and progressing levels by leaps and bounds, wondering how far can we push this game that apparently has no end. And then something interesting happened. 
a user made it to level 138 and discovered something. See, uh, when Tetris was programmed, it was given a set of colors for each level. And there are only 10 sets of colors. So uh, level one's a color, all, and then level two's a different, all the way to level 10 different colors. So then when you got to 11, it went back to the color of level one. And it progressed all the way through. But when you got to level 138, something interesting happened. The game glitches, and it produces color schemes for the levels that were not programmed or coded into the game. Now, this was really exciting in the world of Tetris. I mean, this is a big deal in the world of Tetris, apparently, right? So level 138, but something happens when they get to level 148. They're pushing. Man, what are these new colors? A whole world we can explore here in Tetris. And they get to level 148, and things get really difficult all of a sudden. There's a new challenge. See, the game brought in colors that weren't programmed, and so it started producing levels that were, like, almost impossible to see. And so there's this level uh, 148 that is particularly difficult. They call it charcoal because uh, it, it's the, the background's black, and then the blocks are slightly not black. They call it charcoal. And now players are just getting stopped. No one can make it past this level because they can't see. And because this is a Tetris, and it's not that big of a deal, everybody just gave up. No, that's not what happened. They doubled down. And another user made an AI program. These people were committed. Made an AI program, and this AI program, it mapped out the game. It played through every level in a way only a computer could do it, beyond human skill. And the AI made it to level 237. And at level 237, the game glitched, and it stopped. Now, this is what they would consider in the world of Tetris winning a game. Because if you keep going and the game gives up, you're the winner. You don't lose, the game lost. So this is, this is clear to everyone. There's a way to beat this game. And so what they did is they mapped out all of the levels. And what they found, same guy that made the AI, what he found was that there was an earlier crash in the game. You didn't have to make it to 237. I mean, guys, they were playing for an hour to get to level 148. To go to 237, insane. What they found was that there was an earlier glitch that was possible, and it was only in level 155. I'm telling you, you guys are sucked in right now. I told you. Was that an amen for Tetris? Let's go. Okay. Uh, level 155, earliest glitch in the game. Earliest glitch in the game. And in 2023... There was a user went by the name Fractal. He won the Tetris World Championship. And you know what he said? We're so close. If we can just figure out level 148 with the colors that are hard to see, if we can just get to level 155 and make the glitch happen, like, we're close to this thing. And I think he was just feeling juiced up because he just was the, the Tetris World Champion for 2023. So he's like, if anybody can do it, I can do it. So he begins to live stream every day saying, all right, y'all watch. I'm going to get there. And something amazing happens. As this world champion is trying to make his way to level 155 and get past level 148 with the difficult colors, a 13-year-old boy signs on and live streams him playing the game. And for the first time, he's the one, 13-year-old boy, that beats level 148. Shocks the world. That's not true. Shocks the Tetris world, okay? He makes it to level 153, two levels away. Now the race is on between this 13-year-old boy and this world champion named Fractal. They're trading back and forth. Days go by. And 34 years later, Tetris. We're talking about Tetris right now. 34 years later, a 13-year-old boy 
misses the glitch on level 155. This is when he's supposed to win the game. So now it's like anything can happen. And the, wor the Tetris world is on the edge of their seats. The next glitch is at 157, and he does it. And for the first time since it came out on the NES in 1989, a 13-year-old boy beat a video game that was unbeatable from the 80s. Insane. Why are we talking about this? Well, I want to read the Bible some and then tell you why we're talking about this. Is that okay with everybody? Mark chapter 10. It's a story you might be familiar with. We call him the rich young ruler. And that's actually a composite because this is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Mark refers to him as, as rich and a man. Actually, all of them refer to him as rich and a man. Um, but Matthew calls him young, and Luke says that he's a ruler. And so we know from all of these gospel accounts, this is the rich, young ruler. Jesus was setting out on his journey, always making a way towards the cross. And in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, it tells us this, that he was setting out on his journey, Jesus was. It says a man, this rich young man ran up and he knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. That is a sad story. If you know the story, you know it ends in a sad place because you have this rich young man coming to Jesus and he, he walks away from Jesus. He's, he's sad, he's disheartened because he can't do what Jesus asks of him. But before we get into like sad zone at the end of the story, let's go to the beginning because I actually think this is a very encouraging story at first and there's a lot we can relate to here. See, uh, it says when Jesus was setting out on his journey in verse 17, that this young man didn't just come to Jesus and say, hey, you're a teacher. Can I ask you a question? Hey, I'm Jewish. You're, you're Jewish. You're a Jewish teacher. Uh, can I ask you some things about the law? No, it says that he uh, ran up and knelt before him and then asked his question. And so from the beginning of this interaction with Jesus and this rich young ruler, you have this young man coming to him and immediately showing some kind of respect to Jesus and a posture of humility from this young man. I mean, this is great. Like, when I think about us, we want to come to Jesus. What's the posture we'd come to Jesus, man? If Jesus is here, I'm falling on my knees. I, I, I'm choosing humility. It's a great posture. And he says to him as he kneels and looks at him and asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Whoa, this guy is getting it right. I mean, he comes to Jesus humbly. He falls on his knees. He calls Jesus good teacher. But it's the question that he asks that I think we need to give this young man a little bit more credit than we do usually because of the end of the story. 
when Jesus is there and this young man's kneeling before him, the young man says to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is incredible, actually, because he's thinking about important things. He's thinking about eternal things. He's thinking about spiritual things. So his head is in the right place. I mean, this is a rich young ruler, and he's coming humbly to kneel before a teacher to ask things that have clearly been on his mind and his heart. I mean, you don't just show up and just say, hey, uh, I don't know, I can't think of it. Uh, hmm, well, why have you here? I don't know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, that's not what's happening. Like, this young man has thought about this and has sought out an answer. He needed to go to an authority. He had a spiritual question and so went to a spiritual authority to ask this question to get the right answer. And the question he asked is not like a, a low-level, uh, you know, how do, I, how do I love people better? Hey, how do, I, how do I practice the law better? It's not, uh, you know, how do, I, how do I be a better son? How do I forgive better? No, his question is big level. It's eternal. What must I do, good teacher, to inherit eternal life? I mean, listen, he comes, he kneels before Jesus, and he doesn't just ask any question. He asks the question. There's a lot to learn from this guy. And the way Jesus responds is interesting. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Now, this is helpful because maybe this young man's coming to Jesus because he recognizes this is a teacher, this is a spiritual leader, and so he sees him and calls him good teacher. Maybe he's heard about Jesus. Maybe he knows some of the things Jesus has been doing. I don't know, but he comes to him and he calls him good teacher. And Jesus says back to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, he's not telling this young man, hey, you're calling me good teacher. You don't need to call me good. I'm not good. Only God's good. No, what he's saying is, hey, why are you, I'm just curious, why are you calling me good? Because you know, like the only one that's, that's good is God. See, this young man came asking questions of eternal implications, asking the question, the most important question any of us could ask is, how do I get eternity with God? How do I get there? What do I need to do? What am I, what am I missing? And Jesus' answer is, uh, well, you've come to the right person. Because when you call me good, we only call God good. And newsflash, Jesus is God. So this teacher, Jesus, this young man, not even realizing that this is, this is the one person he needs. It's not just the one person that can provide the answer to the question, is the one person that can provide the way right there in front of him. But Jesus goes on. His answer is very interesting. He says, well, you know the commandments. Remember his question, how do I inherit eternal life? His answer is, you know the commandments. <laughs> do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus just starts listing off the law. And a lot of the laws he's sharing are, are things that deal with our relationships with each other. You know, well, don't murder people. Don't steal from them. Don't defraud. Don't lie. Honor your mother and father. Like he's going through these, these earthly relationship commandments from God. And this is actually probably the exact thing that maybe this young man thought this conversation would be. See, to be a Jewish young man at that time, your, your whole life, actually, 
Like when it comes to you and God, like the way you inherit eternal life, the, the, the way you find rest in the Lord, the, the way you make sure that you live a righteous life, the way you live, you think the way that God called you to live, the way you do it is according to the law. There's no question of this at the time. And so when he comes to him, it's actually like God, it, it, it makes me wonder, God must be doing something in the life of this young man because his response to Jesus, when Jesus lists off these things, he says back to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. He's doing all of them. Now, if he knew he was doing all the things as a young Jewish man he was supposed to be doing to please God, then why is he here before Jesus? There was something he was missing. There was something just nagging at the back of his mind. But when Jesus first answers him, he doesn't jump straight to the point. Jesus has a conversation with him and helps him see maybe there is more, and he leads him there on his own. And so when Jesus responds, he doesn't say the thing that he's really getting to. When Jesus responds at first, he has the conversation that maybe this young man might be expecting at some level, which is, well, how are you living according to the law? You know the law. How are you living according to it? And he says, well, I've kept all of these things since my youth. Since I was a young, a young boy, I, I've, I've kept all, I've never broken any of these laws. Like, I'm pretty spot on with this stuff. Which then begs the question, well, if you're doing all that stuff right, then what are you still missing and what do you need to know? And this is where Jesus takes us. See, it says that he said, I've kept all of these things from my youth in verse 20. And in verse 21, it says that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Now, it can be really easy to read the end of this story and think poorly of this young man. But Jesus looked at him, knew him, knew his heart. Jesus looked at him, knew that this young man didn't deserve it, knew this young man probably wasn't going to take the offer. But Jesus looked at this young man and loved him. And I don't have much to say about this other than I just think it's worth pausing for a second and consider that. That in the midst of this story, in the midst of what's going to happen, in the midst of this young man about to walk away and Jesus answering these questions, Jesus stopped and looked at him, saw him, heard him, knew him, but Jesus stopped and the scripture tells us that he loved him. Jesus wanted this young man to have the answer. Jesus wanted this young man to know that it was more than just the law. Jesus wanted this young man to have the eternal life that he so badly wondered about. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, you would think that this young man who had lived according to the law since he was a young boy, this young man who had pondered eternity, this young man who came respectfully and humbly and knelt before a good teacher and then asked the question, not any question, the question. You would think that young man would hear Jesus, this good teacher who's now saying, well, if you're calling me good, you need to know God alone is good, a.k.a. I am God, that this person he sat before, okay, there's more here. And if he's telling me this spiritual authority, 
the spiritual authority is telling me that it's not just these laws, that there's one thing I lack, then I better do whatever because this thing has been clawing at me in the back of my mind. So Jesus, go sell all your stuff. And instead what happens is the young man is disheartened by the saying, and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This young man maybe thought, okay, well, possessions, what? Jesus, that's not what we're talking about. What do my possessions have anything to do with this? What do my possessions have anything to do with this? That is like not even why I came here. I came here to talk about eternal life and I'm doing all of the right things. So what, what do you want me to do with my possessions? Why would I need to sell my possessions and give to the poor? That doesn't make any sense to me. And you know, we can, scripture doesn't make this super clear, but we know at that time that uh, the belief was that if you, if you were wealthy and you kept the commandments, that meant God had favor on your life. And so having wealth was not a, not a bad thing. And I, I don't even think in this moment Jesus is saying wealth is necessarily a bad thing. It's not a commandment for everyone in this room to all of us walk out and go sell everything and, and uh, give everything that we have to the poor and have nothing left. And then, and then go, just go follow Jesus wherever. No, this is what this young man needed to hear in this moment, that he needed to go and sell everything. But the young man is like, well, hold on. I, it's supposed to be like God's favor that I have stuff, and I'm, and I'm keeping all the commandments, so I'm disheartened by what you're telling me. And he walks away. You know, he had all of the, he had all of the right questions. He had the right posture. He'd been thinking about the right things. He asks the right question. He, he tries to live rightly. It seems like he's doing everything right. And, and I, think, I think, church, when we read these stories, we go, he walked away, but not me. I'm not walking away. But there's so much in common with this young man. Because think about this. I mean, I mean, the fact that he's thinking about spiritual things, but he's never considered for a second that his possessions have anything to do with following Jesus or his possessions have anything to do with eternal life but they do. They do. See, there are things in our life that we so easily say, oh, this is a spiritual thing. This is a thing for God. We're just like him. There are certain things in our life that we think about. We, maybe, you, maybe you have questions like the young man about eternal life or, or godly living or about, or about church or theology. Like maybe you think about these things. Or maybe even when you suffer or things are hard, you, you think, oh, man, uh, I, I need God's help in this. Like that's a, that's a clear thing that like we know as a believer we can go to God to and we can petition God and say, God, I need your help with this thing. Or we know on Sundays we come to church and we kneel and we pray or we lift our hands and we worship and we have a posture just like this rich young man or we come to church and we're seeking answers from God just like he did we know this we do this there are things that are so obvious in our life we go oh yeah that thing that thing that is a God thing that's a thing I need to take to Jesus that's a thing that Jesus it belongs to him because he's Lord of my life but I imagine that there are also things in our life that we have never considered are spiritual. That we've never considered, oh, Jesus, you want that thing too? Hold on, that, hold on, that is not, I was asking something different. We don't need to worry about that. No, the way of Jesus is total. The way of Jesus is everything. The cost of following him means laying everything at his feet, 
and letting him decide, okay, you get this, you give this away, you, you, you keep living this, you can do this, this is your life, this isn't it, you go here, you stay here. Jesus asked for everything. See, I, I think he didn't expect this answer, and it shocked him, and he walked away. And we do the same thing. There are things in your life right now that you've never, never thought about. Never knew that Jesus wanted anything to do with. You know? Like, you ever think about, uh, I don't know, uh, 2.17 p.m.? You ever think about that? No, you don't think about 2.17 p.m. every day. It's just a minute. It's just a time on the clock, and it comes and goes. But, you know, every day at 2.17 p.m., Jesus is like, I want that from you. I want it. You want to follow me? Give me 2.17 p.m. Now, this, this seems like a difficult task to give Jesus everything. And Jesus even says himself as he's working through this with his disciples, the young man walks away and in verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around and said this to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. So he knows, man, these possessions, these things that we don't consider spiritual, especially this young man, uh, they block our sight to see Jesus. They hold us back. They tether us. The disciples were amazed at his words and Jesus began, uh, said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of, of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, then who can be saved? Man, the question. Who can be saved then? If it's that hard, if it's that hard, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And that's the answer. See, the young man was saying, what can I do? And he says, I don't need you to do, I'll do everything. You just go get rid of all your stuff and come with me. I'll take care of all the important stuff. But we measure ourselves by our ability to do everything right or wrong. To do, do all the, the law, to keep all the commandments, to live the Christian life. And, and that's our level of spiritual thinking is just kind of be a good person. And then when Sunday comes, we worship Jesus. And, and sure, we know that uh, Jesus uh, rules and reigns over our life as believers. But sometimes I think we think of Jesus as, uh, it, it's like a, a high school principal, okay? Like, I knew my high school principal, liked him, you know, didn't get sent to his office too many times. I had a couple of principles, and I'll be honest with you, nothing really changed that much. No offense if you're a principal. You do important work that students don't feel the effects of sometimes, or they don't even realize that they're feeling the effects of it, but you do important work, okay? But if you're a student and you're in a classroom, you know there's a principal, but from the perspective of a student, you're just like, I just don't want to get sent to their office. Or if something's really important, then you go to them. But you know they're in charge. You know they're in charge. They walk by in the hallway, give them respect, you know, okay, let's quit hitting each other. Principal's coming, you know. But the day-to-day, -day, like, class to class, you're not, you're not really thinking about the principal. But you know the principal's in charge, but you're not really thinking about the principal. Jesus says that with man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I want to read a passage to you to help us think about this. In Galatians chapter 5, what Jesus was inviting this young man into was a life, a life of freedom, 
man, uh, separate from, uh, detached from worldly possessions. He says, come and follow me. Get rid of all that stuff. You're really craving eternal life. You can have it now. Get rid of all of it, sell it, come with me. He's like, how can I do that? And we may be thinking the same thing, like how do I give uh, 217 or 218 or, or whatever minute on the clock, how do I give that to Jesus? How do I give it all to Jesus? That seems really hard for me to live up to that. And you're right, it is. But the expectation isn't that you do it on your own because with man, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Galatians 5 is this whole chapter on freedom in Christ. And this is the life that Jesus was calling this young man into and that he's calling you into right now. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, yes, Jesus set us free. What did he set us free for? (gasps) A life of freedom. A life of freedom. This passage goes on. It, It mentions freedom even in verse 13. Further down, it says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Okay, so freedom, living rightly, how do we do this? How do we stay away from the yoke of slavery? How do we detach ourselves when Jesus says, I want your possessions, sell them, give them to the poor, come with me. How do we do it? Verse 16 says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 25 says this, after the Apostle Paul goes through, hey, here's what the flesh looks like, here's what living in the Spirit looks like, this is what he says. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know what that is, keeping in step? It's day by day, minute by minute, following Jesus. And just like the principle that the, the middle schooler never thinks about, only when they're in trouble, only when it's important, we often can do the same thing. We go, okay, uh, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. We're really good at this. We're really good at this. We go, okay, so like, I'll, I'll give to Jesus. I'll worship him. But day to day, like I'll try and be a good person. So we love the lordship of Jesus, but we are really bad at the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. What Jesus is inviting this young man into is not just living rightly, it's following his leadership day by day, step by step. And there there are things in your life, you don't even realize that they're, they're spiritual. But you know how I know they're spiritual? Because God made everything. And Hebrews 1 tells us that he holds it all together by the word of his power. So if God made it, it's spiritual. God can do something with it. And I just think there are areas, there are moments of your life that are unexplored. And we're missing out on unmapped miracles and blessings in our life. Let me give you uh, maybe an example of what this could look like, because it's going to be really different for everybody. But let's say, um, man, you're in Publix because you spend that Publix money. You know what I mean? It's expensive these days, Publix. You're in Publix, and Publix is stressful, and everybody's there, and it's like, I just want to get in and get out. That's the game plan, get in and get out. But what would it look like to say, okay, well, everything's spiritual. All right, just breathe in Publix for a second, okay? Just breathe in Publix. God, 
What is your spirit leading me to right now? God, who do you need me to see right now? God, what do I need to think about right now? God, right now, this thing that I've never considered as a spiritual thing, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you this possession I have. I'm going to give you this moment. Man, I don't even want to be here. I don't want to do this. And what happens if God says, okay, well, just give me the moment. Let me lead. And you see like a, you know, lady checking, checking out, cashier, checking people out. And God just puts that person on your heart and you go, okay, all right. You want me to pray for that person? I'll pray for that person. You know what changes when you go to Publix the next time and you see that person? Oh, that's the person I prayed for. I'm going to keep praying for them. Thing you've never considered before. Man, what about um, you drive the same route to work every day? And I, 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 will, I will do this. I'll be like, when did I get here? You know, like I'm driving. I don't know if y'all do this, but you drive so many times in the same spot. You don't remember the last 10 minutes of driving. You're just like, how did that happen? <laughs> I don't know if that's dangerous or not. Uh, but what would it look like to say, you know what? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take every thought captive. I want to make this drive spiritual. <laughs> God, what do you need me to think about right now? And, and y'all, it's not always... God, give me somebody right now I can pray for. I mean, it's just, if you make that moment spiritual, say, God, I want to give this to you. Who knows what could happen? That's what's so hard about this. Who knows what could happen? You, you pull up in the parking lot at work, and you're about to go in, and, and, and you think, okay, uh, God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give this moment. This is spiritual. I'm going to give this moment to you. You've given me this place. I know my work's valuable. I know you made me for work, and I can provide. I know those things are spiritual. But I mean, like, the moments, the random stuff, the stuff you never think about and didn't think mattered in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, I want those things. And as you walk in and you walk by people and you sit in your office, there's going to be something, something that you realize, I give this to King Jesus. I give this to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in this moment. It's for him. God is calling us to so much more. And just like someone can spend years of their life wasting time on something you never even thought you could spend that much time on, like Tetris. Who knew Tetris had that much depth? You're probably sitting here looking, man, what is 217, 218? What is it? That's not going to have them. What's that going to do? I don't know. Maybe spend a lot of time on 218 praying. Maybe every 218 say, God, I'm giving this minute to you every single day. And who knows what depth there could be? Who knows what God could show you? Who knows what he could lead you to? But I can tell you this, God has abundant life on the other side of this thing. Because this young man had everything. And he was even asking the right questions. And he was generally a good person following the law and doing everything he was supposed to be doing. But he still lacked something. And so he came to Jesus and said, what do I lack? What do I lack? What do I need to do? And it wasn't a what. It was a who. It was a way. It was a way of living. And Jesus was inviting him into this abundant life, this new way of living that wasn't just about right or wrong. But it was about Jesus. And so, church, I just want to invite you in this moment to consider a couple things. One, one, there may be something really obvious. Like, I know we're talking about stuff you don't ever think about that you need to think about. It's spiritual. But there may be something in your life right now uh, that is actually really obvious that you have thought about. And you've just kind of compartmentalized and you put it off of here and be like, God doesn't want that thing. Like, for some of you, maybe like uh, the money thing where Jesus says, hey, your possessions. 
Maybe that's something you've held on to. Maybe you're a faithful member. Maybe you've attended here for a long time, but you've never given. And that's just something that you've refused to let go of. Hey, maybe that's the thing, just like the rich young ruler. God doesn't want you to walk away disheartened. This isn't about shame. This is an invitation. Jesus looked at the young man. What did he do? He looked at him and loved him. So some of you in here right now have extremely obvious things that you know about or your spouse knows about or your friends know about. Or maybe it's just you and it's secret and it's private. And Jesus is saying, I'm looking at you. And guess what? It's love. He's inviting you into that. He wants leadership over that thing. He wants you to relinquish that thing. But for the rest of us, there may be something in here that we're going, oh man, I have no idea. This is the perfect opportunity for you to take inventory and think, what are the moments of my day I never even think about? What are the moments of my day or the relationships in my life or the things that happen to me regularly that I've never considered are spiritual and God wants them? I'm gonna invite you into a time of prayer. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to take stock. I want us to take inventory of our heart, of our lives, and say, Jesus, I don't want to leave blessings or miracles on the table. I want to give them to you. And I want you to show up in every single area of my life so I can experience this freedom, this calling to follow Jesus. So I invite you right now, uh, if you're physically able, let's get on our knees. Sit in your chair, pray where you are. And I just want to give you a minute before we respond in worship just to say, all right, God, help me think through this. All right, God, bring something to my mind. Bring something to my heart. So right now, just a quiet moment. Whether it's obvious or not, take inventory. Consider. What are the things you need to start handing to Jesus on a daily basis? How do you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit step by step, day by day? Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.